All right, if you would, take your Bible for the last time for a little while and turn to the book of 2 Peter. Uh, this morning, we will conclude our sermon series through the book of 2 Peter. When you get there, go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and go to verse 10. If you're using that pew Bible in front of you, you can turn to page 1397, 1397 in the pew Bible. We, Angela and I, recently had three rooms of our house painted. Now, you know the drill. You prepare for the painting by removing everything from the rooms. You store everything from those rooms in other rooms, now making almost every room in your house useless. Then you clean those rooms. Because nobody wants the person painting their house to think that there's dust under their stove. Right? <laughs> the person who painted my house goes, this is the cleanest house I've ever seen. We moved the washer and the dryer. We moved the refrigerator. We moved the stove. We cleaned it all. That house was cleaner than when we first moved in. Just so we could make it Messy. Then the walls are prepped, and then they're sanded, and now those areas that you cleaned so well now need to be cleaned again. And then those cleaned again rooms are painted, and I'll tell you what, they look great. Victor and his guys, just give you a little shout out to Victor Prieto, they do a fantastic job. That's not a commercial. That's just saying that they did a good job, and sometimes good jobs need to be recognized. Then you clean a final time. And then you begin the process of putting everything back together again, knowing, I have learned this over time, that some things no longer work in the space they came from. So you make trips, S to Goodwill. And then there's a need to replace many things, so we make trips with an S, to the store. Then you complete the process of putting the new rooms back together again. Then you finally sit back after all of this and you look at the finished product and you hope, as we were, that you are thrilled with it. We like it. We really like it. And then you sit down. And if you're at the Rasnick house, before you sit down, you put on your Comfy clothes. Some of you nod your head already. Some of you are going, I can't wait. About 30 minutes after lunch today, when I go home, all of what I'm wearing comes off, and whatever's on my little couch or my chair, whatever my comfy clothes on, that's what I put on. Anybody have comfy clothes? I appreciate you changing before you came. <laughs> but just, just as a word of advice or a word of encouragement, if you didn't, I'd still be glad you're here, okay? So you put on your, your comfy clothes, and you vow to recover, to rest, and enjoy because of all the work that you've done. You know, the word comfort, when used as a noun, is defined, has many definitions. Comfort, contented well-being, a feeling of relief and encouragement, strengthening or assistance consolation in time of trouble or worry. 
Those are all comfort when you use it as a noun. You may even have, well, we've already said you have comfy clothes. Clothes that you long for on long days. I can share with you with absolute certification because Angela knows I'm getting ready to say this. Angela has a sweatshirt. It's red. It's her comfy shirt. It's over 35 years old. <laughs> Do you know how you get a shirt to last 35 years? One, you don't get it dirty until you never wash it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know how that shirt has made it 35 years, but Angela has her comfy shirt, and she'll probably have it on later today. Comfort is something that we seek. But comfort, as I learned when I was doing some research, is not only a noun. Comfort can be used in the form of a verb, and I learned enough in elementary school to know that a verb makes it an action. And so comfort is not just something that we get. Comfort is something that we are to give. When I look up comfort as a verb, it means this, to give strength and hope to. To ease the grief or trouble of. And so sometimes we can be so comfortable, the noun in our comfy clothes, in our comfy chair, in our freshly painted comfy house, that we fail to provide the comfort, the verb that this world so greatly needs. And it's with that backdrop that I ask you to stand with me. We're going to finish our reading of the book of 2 Peter by reading chapter 3, and we'll pick up in verse 10. We'll read all the way through the end, which is verse 18. 2 Peter chapter 3, picking up at verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him, in peace, without spot, and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware, lest you shall fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. Backside of your call to action has some blank space on it and some lines should you desire to make any notes. But today, as I mentioned, we complete our sermon series through the book of 2 Peter. 
And so we're going to start by picking up in verse 10, which is where we ended last week. I told you we were going to use that as a crossover verse. But look at what verse 10 says. But the day of the Lord will come. Church, this day of the Lord is the end of all things as we know it. It will come quickly and unexpectedly, the scripture tells us, as a thief in the night. And Jesus taught that too in a parable talking about when the end times would happen, how they would be like a thief in the night. Here's my first question for you to consider. Do you believe that the Lord is coming back? You see, it's that singular belief that causes you to now be diligent to move forward. If you know Christ, you have been changed. You've been given a deposit as a guarantee of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus has promised that he goes away, sends the Spirit, is preparing a place for you, and will come back and get us, and there will be an end, and in that end will be life for all who know Jesus and judgment for those who don't. So most everybody, heartily, probably everybody, heartily in this room said that they believe that the Lord is coming back. So let me ask you this question. In light of your belief that the Lord is going to keep his promise and come back, do you find great comfort in that fact? See, we have to realize that what God wants us to do is find comfort. He wants us to be to have contented well-being. He wants us to have a feeling of relief and encouragement. He wants us to be strengthened and aided or assisted, and he wants to be a consolation in time of trouble or worry, which are all the definitions of a noun called comfort. But my question is, do you find great comfort in the future because of Jesus' promise to come back? And we go, a resounding, yes, we find comfort. And here's where God took me on a different direction. He said, if you find comfort, not only do, you, do I promise to give you these things, comfort, but you're going to be called to do something. Do you know sometimes comfort doesn't show up in comfy clothes, in comfy chairs, in comfy rooms, in comfy homes, in comfy lives? Sometimes the comfort that we are called to have is the comfort that we are called to give because of Jesus Christ in our lives. Amen? Church, in light of this truth, do you seek to provide comfort? Do you share comfort? An action of sharing the truth of God's imminent return, do you live purposefully with the gospel in mind? Imminent. You could go and look that up. That means it could happen any moment. Imminent means it's right now. Kobe and Caroline, Josie's imminent, right? You hope so, right? Caroline is ready. We're going to be praying. We go Tuesday evening, right? And Josie's either going to come before then or they're going to coax her out. Come Wednesday, Josie's going to be here. Your lives are forever going to be changed, and I hope it turns out well. Your lives are forever going to be changed, and it's going to be awesome. That's the difference between parenting and grandparenting, just in case you young ones didn't know that, okay? 
but it's imminent, which means it could happen any second. Do you know that it would not be out of this question that all of a sudden you see Caroline and Kobe get up and walk out of this sanctuary? Quickly followed by Art and Carrie. Meaning that you're going, uh-oh, we're all going to know what's going to happen, right? Baby's coming. You know why? Because she's imminent. And we need to understand that Jesus' return, even though Josie's going to be precious, it's more important. And it is just as imminent. Scripture says it's going to happen quickly, like a thief in the night. So do you share comfort, church? Is your life being lived in such a way that you recognize that Jesus' return is imminent? And are you purposefully living with the gospel focus in mind? Verse 10 says that in this moment, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Verse 10 also says that the elements, that means all things will melt under the fervent heat. The earth and all and the works, all that we have done will be burned up. This day is coming. It's imminent. The end is coming. Jesus is coming back. And in that moment, people will find themselves in one of two places. Right? We get this. And it's my prayer that you have already settled your place. But we know there's enough scripture out there that says that there's a lot of people calling on Jesus that aren't living for Jesus, and it's because they've only given it mouth service and not heart service, and they're not really saved. So it's possible that some in the church could be left behind. That's just scripture. So church, I need you to make sure that you have comfort now. But once you know you have Jesus, I need to make sure that you have comfort Verb. Because that day ends only two ways. So write this scripture down. I'm going to read a pretty clear picture from scripture. I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 11 to 15. If you got notes, write that down. I'm already there. I, don't, I, I, I want to be conscious of your time. So here we go. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15 says this. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, church, if I were going to teach Revelation, and I have a number of times, I always tell you to watch two things. Watch who has the keys. And those classes that are going through Revelation... You'll see this. You'll watch the keys in Revelation. Wherever the keys are, that's where the power is. But I'll also share with you that once anything goes into the lake of fire, it never comes out. 
And so here in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, that day has come, and everybody who is considered dead, not with Christ, stands before the Lord. Their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, and they are cast into the lake of fire. And church, again, I'll tell you, nothing ever comes out of the lake of fire. Great right throne judgment, that is the judgment of those who do not know Christ. The judgment for those who do know Christ, it's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's an entirely separate opportunity. And it's my prayer that because you know Jesus and that the Holy Spirit is going to confirm that you really know Jesus, that that judgment seat of Christ will be that judgment that you stand before where Jesus welcomes you into a perfect eternity. But in these verses, we find that uh, the heavens and the earth have all fled. This would be what Romans 6.23 calls the wages of sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Church, can I tell you that the lake of fire, that's it. That's the final destination for those who do not know Jesus, otherwise called Revelation 21 paints a different picture. So let me give you Revelation 21. It's right there if you've already turned with me because some of you are Bible drill experts and you've gone right with me every time I go. But let me read Revelation 21. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. So we're just picking up right at the end of 20, went straight into 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, and the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Church, Revelation 21, 1 to 7, is for those people whose names were found in the Lamb's book of life. Those people who truly know Jesus as their Savior. This is also Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want to stay in Revelation for just a moment. You're going, Jeff, you don't have much Revelation left. Good, because I don't need much more. If you're with me or write these scriptures down, I'm in Revelation chapter 22, which is the ultimate chapter in the Bible. It's it. 
The question might be, well, when's all this going to take place? Revelation 22 gives us three hints. And you're going, uh-oh, he's getting ready to go all prophecy-driven on us. No, you know me, I'm just not that smart. What I am going to go is all biblical with you. And look at what it says here in Revelation 22 gives us three hints. Actually, Jesus is the one who gives us these three hints. Notice in mine anyway, and maybe in yours if you've turned there, it's in red letters. And also notice that these three hints that I'm going to share with you all are in the first person I of Jesus. So Jesus is talking. Verse 20, I mean, in chapter 22, verse 7, says this, Behold, I am coming quickly. Keep on going in chapter 22 and you get to verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. And then if you go to chapter 22, go to verse 20. The next to last verse of the entire Bible, Jesus says, surely I am coming quickly. Three hints. Jesus said, you want to know when I'm coming? I'm going to tell you quickly. Quickly. So church, here's your question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is going to come quickly? See, I shared with you last week that it is not possible for a man to live differently than what he believes. Remember, I shared with you the scripture that says, as a man thinks, so he is. So let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's wrap this up. Look at verse 11. Therefore, since all these things, we just talked about it, right? We just talked about all these things from the negative side. We've talked about all these things from the positive side. And then in chapter 22 of Revelation, we've talked about quickly, quickly, quickly. And Jesus said all these things. So that's what Peter's referring to. He says, therefore, since all these things will occur, look at verse 11. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? You know what Peter's saying to you? Church, if you know Jesus and you believe that he's coming back and you believe that he's coming back quickly, and it is true, it matters how you live. Peter said so much right there. He said, because of these things that you believe, what kind of life should you be living? It says, ought to be living. Do you know that a life truly changed by Christ will be a life that is lived for Christ. If your life, if you claim life in Christ, but you're not living life in Christ, I doubt you have life in Christ. It's not because I'm doubting your salvation. It's because Scripture says that if you're this person, you will live this way. And church, we need to all be growing to be that person living that way. Church, are you living your life as if Christ were returning? As if Christ were returning quickly. Verse 12 goes on to say that we should look for the day. We should be living to hasten 
the coming of the Lord. Now, our behavior will not cause the day of the Lord to change. What it means here is when we hasten this, have you ever been doing something that you were struggling with? And it seemed like five minutes felt like three hours. Right? And you're going, yeah, I'm sitting right in it right now. But go the opposite side. Have you ever been doing something so thrilling, so great, so good that you turn around and you go, oh my goodness, it's been three hours and it felt like five minutes. You guys know this feeling, right? The problem is, is we know too much of the first and not enough of the second. But Peter says we should be living, we should be looking forward to the day of Christ because we believe this, and we should be living in such a way that our life will be lived so fully, so completely yielded to Christ that we are just going and going and going gospel-oriented, and you look up and you go, oh my goodness, time has gone by. Where did the time go? But yet so many times, Christians, we trudge. And I think I found the difference. If you go home today and you go, I'm resting today. It's the Lord's day. And you put on your comfy clothes and you sit in your comfy chair in your comfy room in your comfy yard. And that's how you live until you have to do something else. You got comfort. The noun. But if you know Jesus and you're being confronted with the truth of his word and you believe this is going to happen, there ought to be a portion of your life, whether it be, I'm not against comfy clothes. I got a 35-year-old sweatshirt hanging in the balance right here, okay? I'm not against rest. But sometimes we can become so comfortable the noun that we don't live seeking to share the comfort we are called to share, the verb, which is the hope of Jesus. Verse 14, beloved, look forward to these things. You know, sometimes what you look forward to shows where your heart is. And Peter is saying, look forward to Christ coming back. When in reality, I might be looking forward to seeing my granddaughter come to know the Lord one day. I might be looking forward, really cool thing, looking forward to maybe the Lord giving me enough time to be the officiant at her wedding. Look forward to that vacation or that opportunity. Or I might be looking forward to hearing the doctor say, hey, guess what? Whatever it was, it's now gone. We can look forward. But if we're not careful, we can live so looking forward that we don't do anything today. And Peter said, listen, church, if you believe these things, you got to find a balance. And that balance is between comfort the noun and comfort the verb. you got to be busy sharing Jesus. Verse 14 says, be diligent to be found by peace, by, by him in peace without spot 
or blameless. It's interesting. Do you know that when Jesus does return quickly, he's going to catch you in a moment doing something? Right? We need to recognize and be found by Christ as faithfully serving him and sharing the comfort verb. Verse 15 says, echoes chapter, verse 9 from last week, the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. Do you see that? It is salvation. There is a purpose for this time, this delay that Jesus, that we believe Jesus is happening, because quickly thus means it's going to happen before Jeff gets this sentence done. Jesus is going, hold, I told you last week in verse 9 of 2 Peter chapter 3 that my delay is because I love and want to see people come to know Christ. And he tells them here in verse 15, don't forget my delay, my patience is salvation for people. And best I can tell in Scripture, God has always chosen to work in His people, through His people, to change and help other people come to know Him. So Peter's saying, okay, church, are you noun or are you verb? If the day of the Lord is today. How many people do you know that will be judged by God and take up residence in the lake of fire? Now, if you're going, everybody I know is a Christian. Well, then you don't know enough people. Okay? If everybody you know knows Jesus, that's fantastic. Get to know some more people because there are billions of people that are going to be separated from Jesus forever if they don't hear the gospel. And if you know people who know Jesus, how much longer are you going to wait before you tell them? Or will it be too late? I'd like to end where we began. So if you're in 2 Peter chapter 3, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. And you're going, Jeff, I got a strange sense of uh, deja vu coming on right now. But let me just read verses 2 through 8 of chapter 1. They will mean so much more to us now than they did a number of weeks ago when we read them without context. Now we read them Again, which means we have them in the context that Peter determined. Let me read verses 2 to 8. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers. Remember, we talked about partaking means getting busy, active, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Yes, you have the judgment seat of Christ in your future. But also for this very reason, verse 5, 
giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, just a couple of things to touch on you. When we got to the point of these virtues that we talked about a few weeks ago, brotherly kindness leads to love. We talked about the difference of love, Philadelphia, brotherly love, being good to each other. And then brotherly kindness leads to love, agape love, which means we begin to love as God loves. We see people as God sees people. This agape love, its natural outcome is giving. God's agape love sent his son that whosoever shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Church, Peter is reminding us in the very beginning that we have a job to do. He goes on to say, if you do these things and get to sanctification where God gets you to agape love, you will not be unfruitful or barren. That means you will have fruit. And fruit in Scripture is other people coming to know Jesus as their Savior. So let's close. Let's read verses 17 and 18. Chapter 3 says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Those two verses, Jeff summary. From this day until the day Jesus returns, you are either going to fall or you are going to grow. Right there it is. Fall or grow. Church, can I tell you that it is my overwhelming desire to finish well. I don't have any news that tells me that my finishing well is finishing soon, okay? Don't go there. What I have is every desire to take every day the Lord gives me and for Him to catch me when He comes, being faithful for Him. It is becoming an overwhelming drive in my life. And the Lord is aiding me in focusing on him through the circumstances in my life that I am thankful for because he's showing me verb. You guys get what I'm saying, right? Verb. I'm willing. We are being called as children of God. Give up noun Take up verb. And if you're going, Jeff, I don't know what you just said. 
Go back and listen to the sermon again, and it'll all make sense. But if you think you have an understanding of what the Holy Spirit of God through the Word of God is saying when he tells the pastor to go, give up noun, take up verb. If you have a general understanding of what that means, let me, let me see that you got to, okay, seven of us, no, no, I'm kidding. Church, let God have his way in your life. Amen? Amen. We've been called to be verbs as it relates to comfort. I want to finish well. Do you know that finishing well is hard? How many of you know people who didn't finish well? I want you to finish well. And I want to finish well. And I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to remind you, and I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to walk with you so that you finish well. But I ask you to pray for me. Whenever my finish is, I want to be found doing well. The holy God who saved me, he deserves that and much, much more from my life. Amen? Amen.